Well, good morning. Glad some could make it. Glad we're not all sick and snowed in. There we go. There we go. All right, so originally what I was planning to do was come back on the, there were five sermons I gave earlier this year on the spiritual world. And uh, I was going to take frequently asked questions out of those five because we zoomed through a lot of content really quick in those five weeks. And there were some questions, but I actually had two questions not related to that come up more when I was talking to people. And uh, a couple of them talking with their neighbors and their neighbors were bringing up some questions. So I just want to look at a few questions today that people have um, kind of about church family and being together. And uh, so we're just going to attack it from there. Uh, The question that came to me in one form or another, there was a person from our congregation here that was talking to a neighbor, and the neighbor was talking about um, where in the Bible does it say we need to meet together or go to meetings? And uh, basically to, you know, to kind of go to the church building and be together. And they were saying things like, I'm, I'm a good Christian, I got my thing going on with Jesus, that type of thing. Why do I need the body? Why do I need to go? Jesus doesn't command me to go, does he? And so where do you get that from the Bible? And so the person brought it to me, and they, he had questions, and I said, well, there's short answers, and there's slightly longer answers. The short answers is, it does say, do not forsake the assembly. But that's kind of like saying, uh, it's kind of like saying, mom said no, because... You know, it's just kind of, do not forsake the assembly. Well, why? So today, I kind of want to talk about, for the first question, why we don't forsake the assembly, why we come together, why we meet. And uh, it's not just a one-time thing in Scripture that says you need to meet. It, it's, it's a theme through the entire Bible. Um, from the days of the Old Testament to the days of the New Testament, people need to meet. They need to be together. And... Uh, a lot of people look at the Bible and they're looking for do's and do nots, um, but the Bible is more than do's and do nots. You're going to be disappointed if you're just going for the do's and do nots. So just going to go through some verses, like it says on my slide there, we could go into 1 Corinthians, start with 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit later. That's going to be kind of where I go at the beginning of the year next year. So I didn't want to spend a lot of time there, but there's, there's a lot there because everything that they're talking about there is in the context of Christians meeting together. We'll talk about that other places. But what I'd like to do is just show you portions that just assume that we're meeting together and that we're functioning as a body. And when you see that there's a theme of that even in the New Testament, not including how there were festivals and places of meeting in the Old Testament and this idea that it's always been like that, um, there's just there's a lot there. So I don't just want to tell people, do not forsake the assembly, because that doesn't give you a rich answer. That doesn't give you the why you, know, you should be coming together. So, so let's look at what the Bible says about why we're coming together and assuming that we're coming together. So look at uh, Romans 12, 3, 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So it's talking about different roles, different gifts that people have when coming together in a body. And it just makes it clear that we are one body, though we are many members, um, we are one church. And there are many different things that we offer to each other. Sometimes we just, we, we can get stuck on thinking about certain gifts that we see. Um, but there are things that people do in service that make it possible for other people to do other things. So for example, you know, Tom's not here right now, but when I got here at about eight o'clock this morning, Tom was out serving. He was out plowing our, our parking lot and he was making it so that it was safe for us to come and he was doing things to, to benefit the body that way. And uh, that's a gift, that's one way that Tom is serving. Now Tom serves in other ways and Tom is doing other things and, and Tom receives from us and other things too. But that's just an example that um, if he were to believe that he could just sit at home and have his time with Jesus, and he's close to Jesus, and that's all that matters. You know, he, he's missing out on this. He's missing out on that chance to serve, and I know how it makes him feel when he is able to be able to come and do this. And there's, there's that in all of us. I think all of us know that there are the times when we're doing the things, and it just feels good. Well, it doesn't just feel good because it feels good. It feels good because that's how we're intended to be. That's what we're created to feel. There's that, that layer of responsibility to each other that, that's just part of us as humans, the way we're created. Um, just diving into Ephesians 4 a little bit. It's going to get to it. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, and we're doing a lot of Paul stuff here, but I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of calling to which of you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we'll just stop there, for example. He's echoing again the beginning of Romans 12. Romans 12 kicks off with, uh, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly. So he's hitting humility again. So as we preface a lot of these parts about working together and being part of one body, they're really driving home the humility. Um, just wanted to make that point there. There is one point and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to you, to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, all of those things are one and they are all ours together. We partake in those, those one things. Um, part of that being the one body. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Talking about measures of grace again. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does that mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Okay, there's a lot to break down there, but that's not the point of what we're talking about right now. 
What I wanted to emphasize is the fact that as he's talking to Christ in the resurrection, he's also talking about Christ giving gifts to men. And so as we read, we see the context of those gifts that he's talking about. Immediately it then goes into, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So there's a, that's, a, that's a mouthful there. I just want to point out also, there's a lot of people that don't believe that the gifts continue to function. And we can talk about different groups of gifts, and we will later, uh, later next year. But um, I just want to point out that it says he gave apostles, the prophets, and evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. We can accept that. Some churches don't accept that it continues to happen. But here's what I want to focus on. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Is the church that exists throughout the world one? Yes. But can we all get together in unity? We could. Do we? I would say we don't. Okay. So do we have... uh, Attain, have we attained the unity of the faith? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. In some ways, I don't think we get the unity of faith until Christ comes back. Um, so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the condition of these gifts. So I'm, I'm saying that there are those of us among us who all operate in these gifts. And these gifts are still relevant until we get to that point. And if you think we've gotten to that point, I think that maybe you're just being blind. And so when churches deny the gifts in action, I think that they're, they're kind of turning a blind eye to reality. Um, Paul made it pretty clear there in Ephesians that the gifts are going to operate until this happens. Um, continuing on, rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, 1 Peter, 1 Peter likes to get a little bit into end times. He likes to get a little bit into some of the oddities. So when Peter is writing this, um, there's kind of that thing that's happening. In his mind, that's kind of what he's addressing, addressing at times. First uh, Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, 
To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Again, another example, this time from Peter, of the importance of the body in holding each other up. We're holding each other up. We're serving each other with different gifts. It mentions a couple gifts here, but it definitely hammers home the serving each other. Um, Again, you don't have to think about serving each other just within the context of a church building either. I'm not saying it's the church building is the key. It's the church, not the church building. Uh, James is going to say the same thing. Um, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. you got to be with people to do that. Therefores mean do it. Therefore, confess your sins to your wife and your dog and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's not what it says. Can you pray with your wife? And Yes, I'm not saying don't pray with your wife and your family at home. Not saying that at all. But what they're doing is they're taking that and they've moved that outside just at home. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So there it's just talking about the prayer, the power of prayer. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What does that mean? A nature like ours. The ability to talk to God, the ability to listen to God, and then pray. Ask. That was available to Elijah in a time when it wasn't available to just everybody. But James is saying we all have that now. That's an availability to all of us. Um, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever comes back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So again, talking about covering up that multitude of sins. We have to stick together in case one of us is flaking out and one of us weirds out. We have to be able to reel each other back in. That happens. Sometimes we get wacky. That is the nature of humanity. I was just talking with Bree earlier. Um... They're kind of talking about this a little bit, but she's just like, you know, as humans, we do a really bad job of looking at ourselves objectively. We don't do a good job of looking in the mirror and seeing everything. But I can tell you, my wife does a pretty good job of seeing me objectively. And she reels me in at times. And she points things out. And that's just my wife. You know, in certain relationship aspects. There are those of you in here that if I was getting weird on something, I would hope you reel me in. And that's what it's talking about. We're together. If we're together, you know, it's the whole, everyone always talks about the the sheep are all herded together and the wolf is always looking for the sick sheep or the one that's wandering out. That's true. That's an element of nature. I think that Satan is smart. You know, he's not omniscient. But he knows. He's looking for those that are wandering a bit. He's looking for those that are staying away. And uh, we are here to speak truth with one another. So, just going through it really quick, this makes a little more sense 
beyond do not forsake the assembly. Like there's reasons, there's this whole system of how we live and how we communicate with each other that is supposed to be there when we attend a body. If you are attending a body and you don't feel like this is going on, you should talk to your pastors. You should talk to your leader. Talk to your small group leader. Whatever your situation is, and figure out, is it me? Is it us? Like, this needs to happen. And I hope that for all of us, this happens. Um, the other reason I always enjoy is because they, they like to say, well, I'm just going to do what Jesus did. I'm just going to live my life like Jesus. And, then, you know, Jesus never said I had to go to church. Uh, Luke 4.16, and then he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, and I underlined it, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day when he stood up to read. Jesus went to church every Sabbath. And by church, I'm talking about the building. He went to a synagogue. And it looks like he served in his synagogue by the looks of it. So we have an example of Jesus, God as man, going to church every Sunday or Saturday in his case, and he was doing something in his church. So I think, I think we just need to, we need to be honest. We like our independence, our independence in America. We like the ability to just kind of do our thing. Um, but the Bible doesn't leave us a lot of room to do that with our spiritual walk and our life with Christ. Like we're part of this kingdom now. This kingdom does not operate in that way. And this isn't a sermon to be like, everybody needs to come to church, and if you're not coming to church, you're being naughty. This is just a question, because you run into this when you're going out, when you, and especially when you evangelize. Yeah, I have a relationship with Christ. Yeah, things are just me and Christ, and it's, it's, a, good, it's a good walk and stuff. But I would say, eh, you could have a relationship with Christ. I don't doubt your relationship with Christ, but let me say that there's a fullness. There's more to your walk. There's more to being a citizen of the kingdom than doing your own thing and not being part of a body. Does that mean you have to be in a church building? I, if you want to do small group and you're meeting with, you know, some people do their small groups at 12 and you've got that accountability and that stuff and that's part of your spiritual walk, that's being part of the church. It doesn't have to happen in a building like this. But this is nice. It's nice. I mean, it would be nice to do small groups and do a building like this. You know, that's, that's family. That's life. Um, so that's just kind of where I was at with that. I think that would answer the question for this person. Um, the other question that I heard a couple times this summer when talking to people at events and things, uh, can I lose my salvation? Is it once saved, always saved? So this is another question that comes up a lot. I hear a lot of people talking about this. Um, so just kind of want to look at this this morning and throw some Bible out at this and just kind of talk about this because uh, different denominations based on how they, they read certain passages, like the difference between a Calvinist and a, a non-Calvinist might view losing your faith differently. They might say there's different terminology. So let's put some terminology on this and let's look at the Bible. Um, first thing when talking about losing salvation, I don't like really like the term of losing salvation because A, did we earn it? Did you earn your salvation? No. Yeah, it was free. We just accepted it. 
We earn nothing. Uh, Romans 6.23 drives that home point blank. We don't really have to dig into it any more than that. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you didn't earn it, if you're working on this idea that I've accomplished something to grab it, how do you think you're going to lose it? Can you lose what you didn't earn? Um, I think when we think about losing it, we think about like it gets plucked from us. It's, it's taken from us. And uh, I, I don't think that that happens. I don't think that it gets taken from us. Again in Romans, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, no height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. They're talking about all, all, outside forces, all of it. Like they've covered, they've covered angels, the powers is talking about demons, they're talking about rulers being earthly things. No one has the ability to just come in. Space and time doesn't have the ability to just come in. Um, so does that mean once we say the magical words, we're good for good? I'm not saying that. I'm saying nothing gets to pluck it from you. Nothing steals it from you. You don't lose it. Uh, you accepted willingly and you believed it was a choice. Remember, we have been referring to this this year. We talk about believing loyalty as a way of looking at salvation. It is your loyalty to Yahweh. It is your loyalty to Jesus, your belief that Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross. That's loyalty. That's staying with that. That's the, that's the opposite of idolatry. It is that that connects us to all who served Yahweh before, and believing loyalty comes with added benefits after Jesus. The people of the Old Testament had believing loyalty, and they will see the eternal kingdom. They had a set of things that guided them as they had believing loyalty in, in Yahweh. It wasn't the acts that gave them that salvation. It wasn't that they earned it. That was there to help them. It was their belief and their unwavering love of Yahweh that got them there. Um, I mean, we've talked about this before. Paul talks about it. Like, it wasn't circumcision that saved them. You know, it wasn't that sign of circumcision that saved them. That was something that was there with it. But it, it, that didn't save them because, well, first of all, for women, tough luck. You know, that kind of that ends that. And then for those that would come into the fold or at times, like I think of, you know, I think of Nahum when he comes and, he serves Yahweh after his incident uh, with losing his leprosy. The Bible, he, he doesn't say that he follows the ways at all. He just takes the, packs up a bunch of dirt, takes it home so that he has Yahweh's dirt and he worships Yahweh at home. He still has to go in with the king to the temple of idols, but that's not where his heart is. And he's already told the prophet that's not where his heart is. And that's why, you know, it doesn't say anything about it. Then he went and got circumcised and he made sure that he followed the festival calendar and he worshiped at these certain times. No. And then Jesus, when Jesus preaches early on and he's using people of faith, he uses Nahum. Nahum didn't do any of the rules and regulations. But he was a man of faith because of that believing loyalty. So that existed in the Old Testament. Now, though, our believing loyalty includes Jesus and Holy Spirit who give us so much more. 
Um, so when you make a choice to accept it, you can also make a choice later to reject it. Um, so I'm not saying that, like I don't, salvation is kind of a strange word to throw around, but when you are a believing person, and that's still where your heart is, are you Yahweh's man or woman? Like that's what it comes down to. Sin pollutes your life. Now, let's not, let's not forget about sin. This isn't like a, yeah, I still believe in Jesus. I'm 100% sure on Jesus. I'm going to do what I want. Uh, sin, bad decisions, wrong choices. We can repent. We can turn it around. We can do the work. First um, John 1, 5, this is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, if we say we are a believing person in Yahweh, in Jesus, um, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all from sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There is going to be sin in your life. I hear Christians, I'm not a sinner anymore. Well, you will still sin. James 1 says that we confess sins to one another still. Um, don't deceive ourselves. That's what he's saying. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's addressing the church. He's not addressing just brand new believers. So we make decisions that are bad. We enter into sins, but it's still there for us to confess and be cleansed. I don't think that we lose our salvation with those sins. I don't think that you have to repent immediately to cover up everything you've done in the last 24 hours or you won't see heaven. I don't think we go to the store, accidentally leave without paying for the dog food on the bottom of our cart, and then as we go into the parking lot, with the stolen dog food, I get hit by someone not stopping at those signs at Northland that you're supposed to stop for. And then here I am dying a sinner who stole the dog food and then I'm done, like a fire. I don't think that's the case. I know that's a little extreme, but I don't think that's the case. I think my heart was still, you know, I made a mistake or let's say that I purposely stole that dog food. I think that the heart is still Jesus's, still loyal to Jesus. But, I have a responsibility to confess and repent. And repent means change your mind. It means get back on track. We have the spirit of Jesus living inside us. That's how this works now. We have it better than they had it in the Old Testament. They had rules and regulations to help guide them. But the rules and regulations didn't save them. They just had them there that was a guide that was part of keeping that nation intact. We have so much better with Jesus, Holy Spirit, all of it. Um, an example of this, again, is David. David is titled a, God, a man after God's own heart. And yet David did some despicable things and made some horrible decisions, like scratch-your-head-and-wonder decisions, which means he was following some some bad trails at parts in his life because it seems obvious to us looking at him. You know, he 
likes watching women bathe naked, not keeping his eyes where he needs to keep his eyes, so he's got some lust going on, decides he likes it to the point where, I'm going to have her husband killed. So then he gets a guy murdered out of that lust. Then he has the affair. Then there's the whole census ordeal. Then, like, he can't even treat his friends right at his death with promotion and trusting friends and doing the, like, there are just things that he did not do right. However, he was a man after God's own heart, and he never had that wavering loyalty. Like, you never second guess whether he's Yahweh's man. He just does stuff he shouldn't do. He has to go back and repent. He has to work through all the consequences. God still gave him consequences. Still Yahweh's man. Yahweh still laid down consequences. But he never wavered, so that when he dies, he accomplishes everything within his generation. Says that he needed to accomplish for his generation. In totality, he didn't get to see certain things he wanted to see. And I kind of, you know, you feel bad for the guy. He didn't get to see the temple. The temple was a big deal for him. He didn't get to participate in that. But he accomplished everything. You know, he is a bold man. And uh, he worshiped hard, he fought hard. You know, he just, and it was, it was Yahweh. He just had some hang-ups. And luckily, we have a God that helps us through our hang-ups, and our hang-ups don't leave us out. But work on the hang-ups. That's where repentance comes in. Um, that's what we're talking about. You've got to give them your whole self. So if you, if you have belief in Jesus, if that's where your loyalty lies... You know, when you get baptized, we talked about this earlier this year, when you get baptized, you're making that declaration. You're coming up out of the water. You're done with the chaos. You're done with the world system. You're brand new because that's where your loyalty lies. And if that is, and if you're having issues, the current world system corrupts us. Um, but check your heart. What's in your heart? Are you still Yahweh's man or woman? Align yourself with Holy Spirit. Get back on track. God doesn't ask for perfection, but he does ask for your whole mind, heart, and soul. That's a lot. That's everything. Matthew 22, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the, greatest, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. That's a high command. But if you're working on that command, if that's what you're thinking about, if that's how you're trying to live, you're going to have less and less problems. You're going to have less and less opportunities for things from the system that corrupts to get in. So when people worry about their salvation, I think it's because they're not spending enough time in prayer with God, in the Bible with God. They're not accountable to people. So sometimes these doubts, but as you do all of those things more and more and more and more and more, these questions don't really come to you as much because you're going to be believing and doing what's taught in the Bible and what God is saying to you. Does that make sense? I, think, I mean, I, th I think that the, 
The once saved, always saved thing comes from it, comes at it with a view that we've earned it, and therefore, because we've earned it, we can lose it because it's based on works. But it's not based on works. It's based on heart and faith. And you'll lose it through heart and faith. You're not going to lose it through works. David didn't lose it because of what he did. Now, if David would have got bitter with God and rejected Yahweh and worshipped foreign gods, that's it. That's it. There's no believing loyalty to Yahweh. That's why idolatry is what it is. Um, and that's why, like most of the Old Testament, it's harping about idolatry. Don't serve other gods. Why are you doing that? Why put yourself in that situation where you may fall to other gods? Over and over and over and over. So we need to live completely for him, heart, mind, soul. Um, we're living for him. And again, Jesus has something to say about that in Matthew 7, how you know. And he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock." And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now this is preceded by more preaching. But the reason I picked it up where we picked it up is just the fact that people can do things and not have Jesus in their heart. Our ticket, it's not the magic words, it's the resolve in our heart to serve Jesus alone and to cut everything else out. And there are going to be people who do things, but they've lost that first love. They've lost, it's about Jesus, it's not about the doing. When you're focused on Jesus, it's going to cause you to do things. You're going to listen because we know Jesus' heart is for the lost. It's for everything out there. And so sometimes, kind of goes back into being part of a body again. Sometimes I think people worry about their salvation because they get in ruts and they lose that first love and they, they don't focus on God. They don't focus on Jesus. And they, they end up somewhere else and then they're looking, they're sad they're wondering why things are not the way that they think that they should be. And they have lost that. They have lost that, that 
Jesus is at the center of my life. And uh, so I think like with the once saved, always saved, I don't really like that terminology. Um, but I think that, uh, I think you, you know whether you're loyal or not. And uh, I can't judge that. We can't judge that. It says that we can look at fruit. But I also think it's very important that we also understand that people work through that salvation process and we need to allow people to walk through that salvation process because that believing loyalty is there from day one but you have to accumulate what it is to live in the kingdom if I were to move over to Bangladesh and join Musharraf in a village I would have to relearn the way I think the way I would express myself the way that I would enter into conversation with people, I would have to redo my entire life. There are skills that would move forward, but I would have to conduct myself differently because I'm living in a different, I'm in a different nation. It's a different culture. It's a different set of beliefs. That's just conduct. And I, when people become Christians, it's the same thing. They're moving into something completely new. And so when we're looking for that good fruit, give people time. You know, God's grown that tree. Um, not saying you can't interject and try to lead them away from things that might not be productive for that tree. But, you know, they've got that belief inside, that belief in Jesus. That's their believing loyalty to Jesus and Yahweh. Um, it's just where I'm at with the once saved, always saved thing that people always, comes up, seems like it comes up quite a bit. Um, so hopefully that made sense. And Hopefully for people that are, are watching that might have some of these questions that come up commonly, um, hopefully that gave them some, some ideas and some Bible scriptures to go dig into to see if, I'm, see if I'm correct or full of it, and then they can make some decisions based on what God shows them in the scriptures. So um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the invitation into your family. We thank you for the invitation into your kingdom. We thank you that you have wanted us as family from the start and that it's a great family to be part of. And we thank you that we don't have to do anything to earn it. We just need to believe in you. We just need to accept you for who you are and acknowledge you for who you are and what you did. And Lord, we thank you that you have made that way. There's no other way but yours. So Jesus, if, if there's any of us who are listening or watching who need to restructure thinking, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come and you would help us to restructure thought patterns, restructure things in our minds, um, break down ungodly beliefs concerning getting together with people, your people. And uh, I just pray for those that sometimes they may feel like a spiritual attack on their, on their salvation, that they get worried. Lord, I just pray right now for those people too that, that you would just show them how you see their heart, what's going on in their heart, and just work them through that from your angle. Lord, we thank you so much again. 
for that invitation into your family. So Lord, just show us what it's like to be in that family. And Lord, show us our role in that family. Lord, just work us into what it means and help us as we do your chores. We love you, Lord. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.